Last episode of MobyCast, we began our post-coverage analysis of AWS reInvent 2019. With a major theme of transformation, we walked through some of the key advancements being made by AWS to drive innovation now and into the future. From supercomputing to networking to AI and ML, AWS is proof that there is no compression algorithm for experience. In this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris conclude their special two-part mini-series on this year's reInvent conference. We finish recapping the big keynote sessions and highlight the major themes of this year's show. We close it all out by sharing our most important takeaways that you need to know. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Yeah, personal story. This is all really interesting to me because a friend of mine who you met, Nate Simons, um, works, he's an architect over at NASDAQ and he's been involved with NASDAQ, which just has billions and billions and trillions of pieces of data that they look at and try to figure out because he's in a, like the risk analysis kind of area of NASDAQ, I think. So he's got to look across transactions and think about things. I guess Rob Hunt, who's the VP of NASDAQ, did a session. I didn't know he was doing this, but he did a session at reInvent this year, and he talked about their journey from on-prem, and that was when Nate was doing Cassandra stuff, um, Hadoop, to uh, cloud-native data warehouse using Redshift, and then then they went off of Redshift using historical data in Parquet in S3 with Presto and Spark, and then they went back to a Redshift cluster with historical data in S3 uh, accessible via Spectrum. Mm-hmm. So AWS lost NASDAQ's business, and they, oh, kind of. I mean, it was still in S3, but lost probably a lot of money. Like that Redshift cluster that they turned away from was probably making them a good amount of money uh, that they lost when they moved over to S3 with Presto and Spark, and then they won that business back when they brought in the Spectrum capabilities. So super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just so much so much change going on there and just part of this definitely goes back to like Amazon's one of their core principles of just customer obsession and just mm-hmm. really listening to like what customers are saying, right? So Yeah, and I'm sure Nasdaq can move the needle with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, another thing Andy pointed out is just storage performance is growing much, much faster than compute and memory. So since 2012, there's been a 12x improvement in storage versus 2x in CPU and memory. I mean, we talked about this before, like with just MacBook Pros, where you can get an 8 terabyte SSD mm-hmm. inside a laptop computer that's <laughs> four pounds, right? Yeah. Like, just kind of crazy and mind-boggling. Um, so and another new announcement they had was um, Aqua. For Redshift, Redshift, and so this is basically they say it allows Redshift to be to run 10x faster than any other cloud data warehouse, and so they're they're they built a high speed cache on top of S3, um, and it's using this custom AWS designed chip to do so. You know, if you're into using Redshift and you've got lots of data, like this is obviously something that's going to be very, very useful. Cool. Uh, rounding out a couple more announcements in the analytics space, they have Ultra Warm for Elasticsearch, which is kind of like instead of kind of having you manage like storage tiers and whatnot, it's doing it for you where it's kind of key, you can have your indexes be, you know, the hot data and then um, other data be kind of more in this warm tier. 
And they're just saying, it's going to save you 90%. And it's going to reduce cost by 90%. So, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're using Elasticsearch, sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. And then they announced they, they now have a managed Cassandra service. So for just like last year, they did the managed service for, uh, for Kafka. This year, they've now got a managed Cassandra. So for folks using that, this takes away that undifferentiated heavy lifting and let, let AWS do it for you. Right. All right. So that was theme uh, aspect four. So the fifth one was I Would Walk 500 Miles, which is a Good song tune. from the Proclaimers. Yeah. Yes. Um, an oldie but goodie. And this one was really all about like what they're doing in the AI and ML space. And again, no surprise, like... This is a, a focus, um, I think. Uh, yeah, I think, that, I mean, for me, the main thing here is like SageMaker is here to stay and it's pretty, you know, it's good. It's a, it's a good way to, mm-hmm. to do your experimentation and sort of prepare your models. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, just by sheer count, there were six new features or services all around SageMaker that he announced during this talk. And then some of the other AI services they announced a fraud detector, which is a real-time fraud detection system. Code Guru, which they kind of pitched as like this is everybody's so excited reviews. about it, but it, I don't think it's very real. Yeah. I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think at the but end of the day, it costs a lot of buzz. I heard a lot of hallway talk about Code Guru. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, like, people who, who likes doing? I mean, I actually enjoy doing code reviews, but I don't think you know most normal people <laughs> uh, wouldn't. You know, wouldn't. Um, you know, that's that's not so much fun, right? Yeah. So it's L- LGTM looks good to me as their comment, and you know, PR re- approved. And so the idea of having like someone else, you know, a computer do the code reviews is definitely pretty attractive. But we'll see how this shakes out. I think right now this is really for the most part static code analysis. Along with a, uh, a profiler, but I'm sure they'll, you know, continue to work on this and improvement. And you know, who knows what it'll be, um, you know, a couple years down the road. A couple other things: contact lens for Amazon Connect, um, which basically so Amazon Connect is their call center product software, um, and contact lens is this now ability you can auto transcribe and analyze customer calls. So pretty, pretty cool, pretty impressive. So you're, you know, you're handling calls from from you know customer service support, and now Contact Lens will automatically transcribe those calls and be able to analyze them, um, whether it be for sentiment analysis or just finding querying on that data or whatnot. Um, it's all you get it kind of just by checking a box now. So pretty cool. And then Kendra, which we talked a little bit about before, where this is now search across all your enterprise data, you know, documents, FAQs, um, whatnot, and then using natural language to, to query it, right, and to find it. So it's all being um, backed by this, this, this AI. I was so excited about Kendra that I went and tried to play with it a little bit. And mm-hmm. you know, my takeaway is that it, it's got a long ways to go to be useful. Uh, I couldn't even mm-hmm. really connect it up to anything because right now it only connects to databases and something else, which I didn't have anything ready to go. Right, like I didn't, I didn't have a production database where I was like, oh, I'm going to plug in Kendra. I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and do this. Um, so yeah, it feels like there's a lot of room for them to add. And and actually there were several things that are on the roadmap for early, you know, Q1 2020 mm-hmm. that looks like it'll mm-hmm. become more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it, just from a from a vision standpoint like it's cool. 
this is what they're this is what they're driving towards mm-hmm. like and you know love the vision yeah and they'll get there and then the last section of the keynote was quick point on that yeah google tried this they didn't succeed at it they were trying to do it with a an appliance from what i recall like put this appliance in your data center and they just didn't understand how enterprises work and you know the anecdote i heard was that they were surfacing data to people who shouldn't really have access to that data so Customers weren't happy and they couldn't really figure out how to partition the data properly in terms of our back, you know, rules and visibility. So I think that, you know, AWS is much closer to probably being able to understand customers and understand the enterprise. Um, so I think they're, they're going to have a better shot at it. Uh, if Microsoft is also doing this, I think, you know, they're probably going to have an advantage over AWS. In terms of just understanding how enterprises work, mm-hmm. how they want their data be, data to be searchable, and and who should be able to see it, and also like how it's hidden away and what's available and what's not. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Cool. Absolutely. So, um, and then the the sixth part of the the keynote was based on the the door song "Break On Through." So, "Break On Through" to the other side, which at the end of the day was like, "Hey, AWS, we're just going to bring the cloud closer to you, to where you're at," and so. Kind of Andy ran through like the various options that they have now. So there's VMware Cloud on AWS, right? Which is where you can actually run VMware on AWS. So most folks on prem, they're using VMware to run virtual machines. And so it becomes like this really seamless migration path of getting onto the cloud by being able just to run those same VMware VMs inside AWS. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Another one is Outpost. So they announced Outpost last year at reInvent. Um, this year there was a lot of talk about it because it's now generally available. Okay. So this is where you can get a rack of AWS hardware that is delivered to you, put into your on-prem data center, and it's installed, managed, monitored all by AWS. You can access it through the normal AWS console, all made made possible um, based because of the Nitro system. I'm getting one for my office. Sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, got a few hundred thousand dollars sitting around. Yeah. Um, got to spend it. <laughs> um, taxes, you know, end of year purchases to offset gains. Right, right. <laughs> you bet, yeah. Um, so there's output, and then another new um, announcement they have is for something they're calling local zones. And local zones... Basically what it is, is it's Outpost running in an Amazon managed building. Like a 7-Eleven. Like the 7-Eleven of AWS. Sure, sure. Yeah. But it is kind of yeah. like that, right? Like, it, uh, Have you ever seen like an Amazon pickup location? They have um, like those in a whole, in, a whole Foods market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, 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 like, or the lockers, you mean the lockers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. I mean, not, not that, but it's kind of the same idea. Mm-hmm. Like, let's bring the... The cloud into your local quickie mart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so w- with Outpost, you have a reduced surface area of services, right, that are available. So mm-hmm. instead of like 175, it's like more on the order of like 15 of the core services. But but yeah, it's like it's like a it's it's extending the region to be even closer to you. So like the first local zone they're implementing is in is in Los Angeles. So you know, for folks on the the West Coast, instead of going all the way up to Oregon or U.S. West one, I think, is what San Francisco area. Uh huh. Yeah, you, you know, you're now if you're down in that area, like going to the L.A. Um, area is going to be faster and less and less latency. So there's there's the advantage there. And so L.A. is the first one. There's going to be more. 
Yep, eagle. And it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, it just pops. Um, basically, you know, it pops that are just closer to you. Yeah, um, with the, with the various services. And then the last one that um, they announce is this new uh, offering called Wavelength. And Wavelength is basically marrying up AWS hardware, pro, you know, services with the five G providers in the network. So this is really aimed at the mobile devices and then other devices that are connected over 5g mm-hmm. where they're really addressing the latency because right now i mean there's that latency like if you are on the 5g or you, know, you are on a cellular network you know you first are going through all the cellular infrastructure right and going to the i think there's like a you know a, a city um, hub then there's a regional hub before it actually gets onto the backbone of the internet right, right. so there's there's all this latency before it actually finally makes it to the cloud and so they're saying, well, they're addressing that by basically by taking an outpost, I think, um, and putting it right there at the at the cellular provider's networking um, infrastructure, so that you don't have to go out over the backbone, and so you can reduce latency quite a bit for these applications that may really benefit from that. So whether it be like gaming or or something else, this is going to be. Kind of, it could be very, very interesting. Right, right. They did make a big they, during this part of it. They they brought on stage the CEO of Verizon Wireless um, to really just talk about like five G and you know it's going to be kind of interesting because I, I think you know I haven't been too terribly excited about five G because it's like you know we have four G and like you can walk down any street, stream video. Like no problem whatsoever. It's like it feels like we have all the bandwidth we need. Right. I hear you. Right. One of the things I think that five G could help with, you know, sort of immediately would be self driving cars. Like if you could start to put some processing power into say like all the stop signals that like every interchange, then you could start to have safe zones for self driving cars. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. know that you're on the road, you know like what the signal is saying, like you know that you're not driving up onto a sidewalk or something because you've got like processable information nearby that you know has low latency and is is correct and accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's an area that could see some of that innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, it may just be like this this concept of like you're just this is the new network, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's no totally. longer you know you're you're not going over fiber, you're not going over copper. It's just like you can everything can be wireless. Um, over the cellular networks just because it's got the bandwidth and yep. it's fast enough and the latency is is low enough where it just works. Yeah. Um, yeah. and no wires is better than is, than, is better than wires, <laughs> right, right? Right. So So we've gone long already, but I, I think maybe we just blow this one out a little bit, Chris. Might as well finish up talking about reinvent and there's a little bit more to, to discuss, I think. What do you say? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we move on to the to the last keynote we wanted to talk about, which is which is Werner Vogel's keynote. Um, for me, this was a little bit interesting just because it was shorter this year. Yeah, and um, also it just um, there in previous years like Werner, he, there was a lot of announcements, especially in the kind of like core technology developer ecosystem space. Like last year, there was a whole bunch of stuff around Lambda with Lambda layers and mm-hmm. the custom runtime, and there was a, just a, a bunch of other stuff in that space, right? And this year in his keynote, there wasn't any announcements really mm-hmm. other than the Amazon builders library. <laughs> and so, which, I mean, so it's, it's cool, right? I mean, so it's a, it's a collection of documents that 
basically are kind of like giving you the inside knowledge of just how Amazon builds software, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to know about shuffle sharding um, and how that leads to better availability, right? Like there's now a paper in that in in the Amazon Builders Library that you can go read about. Mm -hmm. But it feels like, I mean, a lot of that information I think was already out there in in one form or another. And it's just like now here's just another place. So we have like, we have the well-architected tool to go to now. We have the, the quick starts, um, area that they have there right. is, um, I mean, there's there's several different places now where there's these re- repositories of know-how and templates and and quick starts and getting started and whatnot. And this is just kind of adding to that. This is just feels like it's probably more of a. It's like organizing. Yeah, and, and it, like the, the information that's here is going to be more like from just an architecture, maybe in design standpoint, mm-hmm. and less of a you know just here's how you would put these pieces together, right, type thing to, to roll this out. So that was really the, the only announcement here um, as part of his, his talk. It, the talk really kind of boiled down to a couple different sections. One was on just virtualization and, and kind of where they've been and where they're going to. And that ended up just kind of pointing out like, you know, hey, we started off using Zen virtualization. And we talked a bit about this in the VMs versus containers mini series mini series on Mobicast yeah. where you know how how VMs are implemented so it kind of talks about like using Zen as the original hypervisor and the problems with that and how they've now now have this Nitro system which is just so much better on so many different levels um and i think i think we're just going to end up having to maybe we'll we'll talk about that on a on a future episode of mobicast <laughs> we teased it enough is, on this one <laughs> i know it just i mean there's just there is there is actually it's it's it is really impressive there's a lot of of um pieces to it and it's it's probably it's it's just not something that we can kind of talk about in 3 minutes but just other than that like this is the future it's enabling a lots of innovation and all the new instance types are using it. We've talked about the benefits that we get from a networking standpoint. There's a lot of benefits that you get from a security standpoint um, and other performance standpoint. So yeah, so really, really, really key, a crown jewel for AWS. For me, I think it's worth saying at least one thing, at least in terms of how I think of it. It's like all the stuff that's virtualized, like your disk, like your networking, like your IO, like your memory, all that stuff that gets virtualized, like that that used to be managed by this hypervisor that lived, you know, that ran in your processor. And now it's like, oh, what if you could take that and make your own make put it somewhere else and just have a whole processor just for dealing with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that's essentially what Nitro is. Yep. Cool. We yes. did it. And so, deep dive and, on Nitro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not quite, but <laughs> but yes. Uh hopefully we've uh We've laid the the groundwork for that. Yeah, uh, and then along with Nitro, I just talked about Firecracker, and you know, again, highlighting that is like one of the again one of the crown jewels that they've been working on that's really starting to pay off. So um, we talk about that. This is like a, this is truly a lightweight VM. So it combines the best best of both worlds. It's the security and the isolation of a VM, but the performance, the speed of a container, and. The Lambda service is currently running on Firecracker. I already thought that Fargate was using Firecracker. I thought that's what happened when they when they had the big price cut back yeah, at the beginning too. of the year. Yeah. But it turns out no, they're not. They're not on Firecracker yet. Um, they're working on it. It's coming soon. But as of yet, Fargate is not on Firecracker. They're still running. They're, they're spinning up a VM for every container on Fargate right now, mm-hmm. which is 
not efficient at all. No. It's very expensive, right? So once Firecracker comes along, they're going to get much better density and prices will come down quite a bit. And so that's, we'll when we'll, that's when we'll see yeah. the, the like Cloud Run competitor that we mm-hmm. talked about before, yeah. the Google Cloud right. Run thing that, that can like automatically scale up and down an image, a Docker yep. image. Yeah. Another thing, though, that that stuck with me from that Firecracker announcement, or just from discussing Firecracker, was that a way to think of it is that there's all this cruft in a VM, all this stuff that computers have to do uh, that you just don't need for most computer, you know, most um, applications. So just things around dealing with lots of different devices, things around managing tons of different users. If you're just running a single process like you don't need all that stuff so that's why it really is there's just less to virtualize mm-hmm. um, and that's why it really is a lightweight virtual machine they've literally just stripped out a bunch of stuff from a typical operating system that most processes don't need yep yep yeah it's like you don't need to virtualize the the display yeah, right? yeah. there's no display so that's a, that's just not part of it yeah so it's very much purpose-built and and uh, we we reap the gains from a from a performance simplicity standpoint. Mm-hmm. We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast. And if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode, it can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobycast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. We'll send you our weekly super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times, this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCast cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. And so then the the rest of his talk was really kind of an architecture case study for elastic blocks storage, so EBS. And so just kind of talked about how EBS has a cell-based architecture. I think we've, we've talked about this in the past. Um, this is a very kind of core to the, how AWS builds services is they take the cell-based approach where you're partitioning up your architecture into individual groups that are fully contained that stand alone by themselves, right? And then you use things like partitioning and sharding to break it up into cells, but the idea is that you're reducing your blast radius so that if mm-hmm. like if a database dies, then it only affects that cell. It doesn't affect the entire service. Mm-hmm. And so EBS is, uses this cell-based architecture, um, but they, they did run into the problem where they, had, they have to keep state of where the data is, and, that, and they call that their config master, and that ended up being a single point of failure, mm-hmm. right? So... It's like how do we how do we deal with this? And so they this is the first time that they've ever talked about um, a technology that they call Fasalia. 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 Mm-hmm. This is their approach to solving that problem. So really, what it is is it's breaking up that database into millions of tiny little databases, and they kind of they think of this as colonies of cells. So like the the whole like jellyfish the, model. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's kind of interesting about this is that it really like this design came about from their thinking about the cap theorem. And so the cap theorem says so there's consistency, availability and network partitions. And you basically can have two out of those three things. So if you want to be, you know, 
you, you can't have all three at the same time, right? Is really what the, what the cap theorem is telling you. So they knew that for EBS, consistency was very important, right? Because it would be bad if you're like reading from the disk and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's, it's not there. Right. And then availability, obviously very, very important um, as well. So in order for this to, um, to work, they knew that they had to reduce the probability of network partitions, right? So they had to simplify the networking of this and, re- and reduce the, basically the size of the network between the nodes in this cell or colony, right? So, so to do that, so to reduce the, the, the chances of these network partitions, that's where they went to this idea like, well, we're just going to have millions of these really small databases and we're going to optimize the placement of those database nodes to be as close as possible to those nodes that need to read and write to that database, right? So you're reducing the size of the network between them. So kind of an interesting, interesting approach. It was, you know, again, kind of like a, an architecture level type talk about just a really interesting, challenging problem and how Amazon is going about solving it. And so they've done this and they've implemented it and they've seen their EBS error rate go down significantly. And they have much better consistency now with, with those error rates because they've, they've gone from this more centralized model to these millions of little tiny databases and reduced their probability of network partitions happening. So what was your takeaway from that part of the keynote, Chris? From the talk about this, this Fizalia. Fizalia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of like just demonstrating um, AWS is just, again, there's, there's no compression algorithm for experience and something like this really can only come from going through all the trials and tribulations and, and getting to the scale that they're at, that it's forcing them to address these problems and come up with really interesting solutions, yeah. novel solutions to things, right? And so it's just showcasing that breadth and that depth of experience that, that AWS has. Yeah, I, I guess my takeaway is a little bit more cynical. I mean, I agree with you, that's true. But my my takeaway is a little bit more cynical, maybe Gen X cynicalness. It's like... Okay, so at the beginning of the keynote, they show Werner in a video and he's trying on t-shirts and they're talking about how, you know, whatever t-shirt he wears sort of drives virality of some tweets or like, you know, pushes up like tweet hashtags, right? Like people are talking about it. So So what I got from that is like, he's a popular celebrity. He's a celebrity among developers. He absolutely is. He's got TV shows, right? The guy's a celebrity. Within a within a reason, mm-hmm. um, within a certain group, a, a niche celebrity. So then you get him on stage and you have him talk really deep down, technical, telling you some secrets, and you have it go just over the heads of almost the entire audience, just a little bit. Look, it's hard to understand him because of his accent. Um, and every once in a while you can pick up something like, ooh, Fizalia, yes, that's a very cool name. And oh yeah, Blast Radius, I get that part. But like he gets into the cap theorem stuff and it's like whoosh, just went over the heads of everybody. Like and and like, oh, but I kind of get you again when he's talking about bringing the little databases close to the actual data, like everyone kind of understands that part. And then the feeling that everybody's left with is, man, that guy is so smart. And that's the point. That's it. That was to make developers frothy. That's all it was. It wasn't anything else. It was just marketing. Just put a, put a guy that's famous up in front of people and talk about 
fancy schmancy stuff so that they get all frothed up and go home and, and say how awesome AWS is. That totally is it. I mean, that's maybe the point of the whole conference, but it, it's not, right? Like we have actual jobs to do and we have to get our work done and we have to learn how to do AWS stuff. Um, but the cynical me, like that was the takeaway from that keynote is like, there wasn't anything new. There wasn't anything different, uh, that he talked about. So let, let's just show off my smarts so that you love me more. And you know, you tell your bosses about me. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, definitely a little bit more cynical yeah, yeah. Um, view than, than, than mine. I think kind of paradoxically they're both viewpoints are kind of saying the same thing, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just coming from different angles. Uh-huh. Right. So it's like, Hey, um, you know, AWS, they're, they're faced with some just problems that most of us just will, will never see. Right. Cause we're just not working at that scale. Yep. And so the, so the actual detail there doesn't really matter to us that much, right? But it's cool. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, like I said, for most people, it, it's going to go over their heads, and they're not going to be able to really appreciate it. Other than it's like, uh, you know, it is a cool name, and like, yeah, you've convinced me this seems really, really hard, and I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So you know, most of the people in the room probably fit in that category. Mm-hmm. But not uh, most of our yeah. listeners, though, right? Because we're <laughs> we are. We're doing it. We're we're bringing hopefully, everybody hope, up. Hope, yes, we're leveling hopefully, up. Hopefully, hopefully that's the. Hopefully we are we're bringing you along. Yes. So. All right. So that that covers like the 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 keynotes. So the three major keynotes. Um, we've gone through all that stuff. So maybe now we can just kind of just tease out like, okay, just what's the takeaways from this, um, and what are what are some of the maybe the eye openers, and so for me. Nitro system. Nitro, nitro, nitro. Yes. We've talked a lot about that in, in the recap. Yeah. And it's just, this is like, again, it's crown jewel for AWS. They've, they've, they've invested a lot into it. And it's really going to be like the backbone for innovation going forward. And it's really going to enable a lot of amazing capabilities, mm-hmm. new instance types, um, new applications, just immense amounts of, of computing power. Um, and then really just taking AWS just all over, um, just everywhere it is, which kind of leads into another another kind of like takeaway for me was just AWS is everywhere now. So it's all the way out on the very, very edge um, with things like Lambda Edge and their IoT initiatives, like with Greengrass. Mm-hmm. It's on-prem now with AWS Outpost. It's near-prem with um, AWS Local Zones. It's in 5G now with wavelength, and then of course it's still in the cloud, right? Um, yep. With what we're what we're used to, so it's literally being. It's just it's coming to you, right? So if you're not going to come to it in the cloud, it's going to come out to where you are and be closer to you. And so it's just this really broad spectrum um, of coverage, and that will just continue, right? It'll just continue to blend in. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if. They come out with AWS laptops, right? That have yeah stuff I, yeah. built right into it. I mean, why not? Right, right. And it's like it's like the perfect developer machine if you're working on AWS or something like that. Mm-hmm. Another big, big, big theme for me, which is just like the importance of AI and ML, yeah, and particularly with SageMaker. So, like I said, they had a lot of announcements around SageMaker, and at the end of the day, they've they've turned SageMaker into a complete full-up developer platform. So they now have a SageMaker IDE. They have debugger. this concept of yeah. Yeah, debugger. 
You can save your projects、um, as a collection of experiments. You can collate all the、um, artifacts around those experiments. There's operational support for like monitoring your models once they are deployed. Yeah, to make sure that they're not drifting. I mean, this、um, is huge, from- Chris. Think about this. Like, as as you said to me, AIML practitioner capability, like being able to get in there and do stuff with it, with you know, not necessarily coming up with new ways of making models, but training models and Kind of according to like some recipe books and things like that is baseline expectation for developers now, right? You got some data, better put some AIML to get insights out of that data, do some categorization or some prediction. And AWS, like they have Cloud Nine, and people are definitely using Cloud Nine a little bit, but they're really not touching code, VS Code or Visual Studio in terms of like IDE love. But they really have a shot at being the IDE of AIML. They really do, Abs- yeah, and、absolutely. that's maybe more important right now, isn't it?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I think up till now, like developers, people in this industry, kind of understanding AIML, being able to use it as a practitioner, has been optional. Definitely going forward in the future, it is required. Right? There, this is changing so rapidly. It is. Be- it's becoming so. Highly capable and advanced, and it's just going to be ingrained in everything we do. Like you have to be, you have to be up to date on this. You have to use it. You have to be able to to weave it into your work. Otherwise, it's just going to leave you behind. Yeah. So AI ML, like get on it, people. <laughs> like, like if you haven't, like go do it. So and there's a lot of great ways to get into this, right? It, it, it it's a huge field, and there's lots to learn. But you don't have to do it all at once. You don't have to go get a college degree in this. You don't have to go do. You know, full up courses or whatnot. I mean, just start off like taking off bits and pieces. So, go play around with Deep Racer.、Um, you know, I've kind of like you don't have to go buy the four hundred dollar car, right? You can do it all via the the simulated environments. But go do the Deep Racer. Was there about to be a, an admission of guilt there, Chris? I've kind of, and then you just dropped off. <laughs> um, if you remember last year during our coverage of, of, of reInvent, I I kind of mentioned this like like really like you guys are making this big announcement like it's a big deal like Deep Racer it's like a four hundred dollar you know car you know toy type thing like who's gonna go spend four hundred dollars to play around the toy and you're gonna have like these competitions and it's like okay whatever I just, it's like just does it seems kind of. Kind of out of whack、um, with everything else, and so now I'm kind of taking a little bit of a pivot there, where it's like, you know what, this is probably a pretty easy way. Like, don't go buy the, you don't have to go buy the car, but like, go use the software and tools, the simulations, to go learn. Like, this is an opportunity for you to go learn about how reinforcement learning works. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so go play around with it,、mm-hmm. and by doing so, and by by you know doing a simulation of getting a car to try to follow a track or whatnot, like you're going to learn about that. And、mm-hmm. so, same thing goes with love it with Deep Composer, right? So, Deep Composer is a new thing they just launched. It's a physical, it's a keyboard where、um, using AI to basically write music, right, and to play it.、Um, but you can also do that without the the actual piece of hardware.、Um, and it's teaching about GANs, right? So, general adversarial networks, I think. Okay.、Um, right. So. Another part of AI ML that you can go learn about, right? By, you know, just these these tools and and kind of it's going to be fun, right? And same thing goes. So Deep Lens was something they announced two years ago, yep, which is teaching you a bit about like how some of the AI ML techniques work for image recognition, right? So so go 
go start doing this stuff. Start playing with this stuff, right? To, to come up to speed for it. Go see it. I don't know if, if Coursera still has the course on um, introduction to machine learning and kind of going all into, you know, just the basics of it on how it works. But that, that, was, a, that was a really good course that was free. Again, I don't know if it still is, but if it is, I mean, I would definitely go give that a look. It's 15 hours of work. I think you did that one, didn't you, John? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so start just if you if you if you haven't looked into AI and ML and and if all this stuff is new to you, jump on it because you know I don't know when it is if it's two years from now or three years from now or five years from now or even you know tomorrow like it is going to be pretty important to your job. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Well, man. Let's see. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just so just kind of wrapping up just a few more things. So analytics. Um, was just a big focus of this reinvent. Yeah. With I was really kind of surprised by just how much effort they've put into Redshift. I mean, that's been one of those ones that in the past doesn't seem to have gotten a lot of attention, and this year it was the spotlight was on it. Yeah, um, it was. You know, big time. So Redshift and data lakes, big, big, big focus for AWS. And then the last thing that really I've come around on is quantum computing. Yeah, we did have to touch on this. This is so cool. I'm so glad that you came around on it. (laughs) I mean, let's tell the story. Like, There was a a guy from D-Wave who came to give a talk at Glucon, and I think I might have even talked about it on the show, how it was so interesting to see that they were building a little IDE, a little software development kind of kit um, for for developers to be able to get some time on D-Wave, and there was like a D-Wave cloud. And I think at the time you were just like, yeah, you know, come back to me when you can do something real with it. Um, and now, yeah, what, what's your thought now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I do remember that conversation and I was just, you were like, you know, hey, isn't this cool? And aren't you interested? And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, this is still in the labs. It's science fiction. Like, this is not going to be real for, you know, tens of years you know, 10 years, um, type thing. So it's like, I'm not even like, it's just not even on my radar, right? There's been so many technologies like that in the past where it was like, there's lots of buzz around it. And like, you know, like one of is like photon computing, right? Using light instead of electricity as the, as the medium, um, inside of a, inside of a circuit board. Um, and you know, light, the advantage being that photons don't interact with each other, like, like electrons do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nothing came of that, right? There was a lot of buzz around it, and, like, there was stuff that was built in the lab that seemed like it worked and and whatnot. But, you know, it didn't go anywhere. And, and actually, with, with quantum, there's been a lot of stuff there, too, right? Like, we see the the articles about, like, oh, quantum entanglement and, like, time travel and how they got, like, these these two quantum particles to, you know, what they're calling time travel, where one was able to... Um, communicate information to another one that was like 30 miles away, but it's all under like these really weird like lab conditions type right. thing. So it just it's just felt really science fictiony. Mm-hmm. And you know, at this reinvent, um, AWS did announce Bracket, which is their new service for quantum computing. So giving you access in the cloud to quantum computers, like from D-Wave and IonQ and Rigetti. And so that kind of got me looking at that a little bit more. And um, as I looked at it a little bit deeper, it was like I was really surprised by how far along it really is. So, you know, started off with quantum computers. They were, you know, didn't have much 
capabilities, they only had a few qubits. And so qubits are the kind of like the basic building block for a quantum computer as opposed to bits, right? So think of it, if you had like a four-bit computer, like that's not very impressive, right? It's not going to, it's not going to, yeah. you know, do, do too terribly much. And so it started off with just, you know, had a handful of these qubits. Well, now the current state is that they're up to about 50 to 70 qubits um, in, a, in a quantum computer. And around 100 qubits is when you can start using algorithms like the traveling salesman and solve those kinds of problems with a quantum computer. Um, Ooh, and then, yeah, that's big. Yeah, and th- so that I mean, that's right around the corner, right? I mean, right. if you look at just the way that technology, the way that we, you know, we've seen it progress, and it, you know, it's not necessarily linear; it's usually exponential. So, 100 qubits is not that far away. Um, at 300 qubits, that's where you can re- represent more numbers at once than the total number of molecules in the entire universe. Nice. Right? So, so what's I mean, this just, chocolate going to do to my body? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So there's so much effort being put into this now. And there's so, I mean, just so much resources and, and experts. I mean, Google is a, is a, is a, you know, they're at the forefront in this. Microsoft is at the forefront in this. And now, and now Amazon is getting into the game as well. So there's progress being made there. It's, it's no longer just in a lab. Like if you want to go play around with quantum computing now, you can do it. And it's it's literally. I think it's, like, it's like D-Wave will give you time for free. Like you can actually go yeah. read up a little bit and go make something happen on a quantum, like a real yeah. quantum computer. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I kind of think of it like I view this as like the same thing that happened with AI and ML. Like yeah. five years five years ago, it wasn't too terribly practical, and now it's like we have like there was a freight truck that just drove itself from California to the East Coast with fifty thousand pounds of butter in it. Right? And, and it drove the entire way, you know, the self-driving vehicle, the entire way itself. And it's like, if someone told you that was possible like five years ago, like that was going to happen, it's like, eh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd bet on that. Right. Um, and I think it's kind of the same thing that's happening with quantum. I think, you know, where we're at now, five years from now, we're going to look back and say, oh my goodness. Like, yes. this has been yes. pretty, pretty game-changing. So right. I, I don't think I think you know quantum is only good for certain classes of problems. It's it's not going to be a replacement for for digital computers. So it's not one of those things where it's just like you know if you don't learn how to be a quantum programmer, it's just not going to work out for you. But so but it is you know you should like take a look into it and yeah. it's something to to be aware of and to know and it's kind of good to know like what is it potentially good for versus what it's not. Um, and just as a, it's going to be a complement um, to the technologies that we have, right? Yeah, and because the pace of innovation is accelerating, and we've already decided that in software, it looks like the innovation is largely happening in the big companies in the public clouds. But uh, something I think some of our listeners will recognize when I say this is like, you know, innovation is accelerating. So if you look to the past to gauge the pace of innovation and project that into the future, you will be incorrect. Like you will underestimate how much innovation will happen in the next five years yep. if you look at the last five years. Yeah, and if you look at the last five years, it's like whoa, so much happened. So, yeah, more than that is going to happen in the next five years, which is just so hard to get your head around. It is. I yeah. mean, I I will not even make any predictions about what life's <laughs> going to look like twenty years from now, right? Because yeah, no. it's like I 
I really do think it's going to be so completely different than what we can imagine. It's well, great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. me too. And and I think hopefully what's coming out a little bit is is how we were both of us inspired by reInvent. So it was a great mm-hmm. conference to be at. Glad you could listen to us go on and on about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry it was so long um, this this week, but a um, lot to cover and yeah. a good one. And if you haven't had a chance to go to reInvent, definitely get it on your calendar. Yeah, we'll see you there next year. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Bye. Nobody listens to podcast outros. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. It's the outro song. Come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on Reddit at r slash mobicast. <laughs>